0: Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Sports. That's Indeed.com slash Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light.
1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says, promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Try to get by Bennett, Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets left center. Perry! Scoot Corey Perry! Well, you're able to take away from
1: Solani. it's given away to. Solani.
2: All right, we're back with another episode. It's been a little <laughs> bit since we've kind of been on with a regular episode, waiting for, for news to happen. Season. season. <laughs> anyway, yeah. about the season. And uh, season's over for the Ducks. No yeah. surprise, I guess. Um, <laughs> there was a little bit of time where we thought, if the, I think they were saying they might do a 2016 format or something, or 2018 format at one point that the Ducks would be involved in. Instead, they go for the twenty-four team format, which is which honestly is is kind of nice. Like it would have been, it would have been cool to see the Ducks play and see Trevor Zegras play and little things like that. But the Ducks did not deserve to be in playoff hockey.
1: No, no, not at this point, um, and uh, especially. Uh... Considering we didn't really want it to, to mess too much with how uh, their drafting goes, uh, I think we're maybe a little bit relieved on that other end. You know, yeah, no more Ducks hockey, but really, were we expecting a complete rebound from the season that was after uh, that hiatus? I don't think so. We'll just, we'll just watch other people play and, you know, get some semblance of hockey and playoff hockey at that, and then uh, just look forward to the draft.
2: Yeah. And for the NHL, all it really mattered was Chicago and Montreal scraped their way. Oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got to make it. They've got to make some money gonna, somewhere.
1: Yeah, there's there's no reason to even have the playoffs. I think that's what it was.
2: Yeah, yeah you got <laughs> two, two of the biggest fan bases that weren't having great seasons, but the NHL had to figure out a way uh, to squeak them in. Obviously... We're not going to talk too much about the matchups and, you know, the games that are to be played, uh, on this show at least. We're going to cover a lot more of, the, of how that's going to affect the Ducks, specifically how the draft lottery is going to affect the Ducks. Uh, if you do want to hear us talk about the matchups, the you know, the way it's going to break down with the 24 teams, how the first kind of play-in games aren't technically part of the playoffs and the history books, all that, we're going to cover that in the middle of the week on our Patreon episode of Pucks and Brews. So if you do want to check that out, make sure uh, to sign up for Patreon and listen to that show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, as the name implies, uh, we're, we're drinking a little bit during the show, and uh, it, it always uh, it always gets a bit crazy, especially when uh, Pat has a chance to talk about the Islanders, which is which oh, is yeah. for sure going to happen uh, on that show <laughs> with the, with the matchups that are going on in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, some drink more than others. Uh, Ed, it, it's, uh, it's lucky if you do at yeah. all, but uh, we I we have stuff this for time.
2: You. <laughs> I'm ready to go ahead of time or mango cart. Yeah, probably. It's something along <laughs> those lines. I didn't buy it. So <laughs> whatever it is, it's, it's probably not that it's great. Free. Yeah. It's free and I don't have to worry about it. Um, Let's, uh, let's start off with how, cause we're already talking about it, how the return to play format affects the ducks. Uh, obviously the games themselves like we mentioned don't affect the ducks because they're one of seven teams whose seasons are now over um the the interesting thing about that is all seven of those teams can actually make trades with each other right now which is a bit odd which i don't i don't expect trades to happen because i feel like you know general managers and teams will want to wait until the entire market is open to judge a player's worth like you know if you're Buffalo and there's been discussions if they're going to trade Brandon Montour or some of their other players. I feel like you would want to wait until the market isn't six teams and when it's mm-hmm. thirty teams instead of six and you're getting different offers and um, I, I don't see any happening. But it's interesting that they they open that up. I think they're hoping that some teams make moves so that you know they can get some traction and and some buzz around the league. But I doubt I doubt the Ducks or any of the other teams outside the playoffs make any moves.
1: Yeah, it'd be odd because usually it's kind of like those those lower teams are are maybe looking to add a draft pick or something like that. And so if you're all going to get a high draft pick unless you're like doing future high draft picks, it, it seems odd. I, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of movement between those six teams because all those six teams are, are pretty much sellers. You know, no one's a real buyer at that point, so they'll just wait till the buyers kind of come back, see who right. misses, you know, or underperforms in the playoff, and they're willing to blow up their thing or whatever. I think, yeah, you'll probably see a little bit more of a delay in um, – any sort of trading or significant trading, at least.
2: Yeah, I think the only team who would who would really be a buyer in that situation is the team who just missed out in Buffalo. I think they're yeah. you know out of the other teams who are out in you know Anaheim, LA, San Jose, Ottawa, uh, New Jersey, and Detroit. None of those teams are in, in a position to buy anybody right now, especially anybody that the Sabers would be selling. But the 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 one thing that the Ducks and those other six teams, and I guess the Sabers are looking forward to, is the draft lottery and. That's something that, you know, until it became official and how it was going to be run, there was probably about three or four different formats that people were speculating and throwing out there. Uh, I know the one that was the favorite among most fans was the one where every other team that doesn't make the playoffs is completely out of it, and then the odds are adjusted differently for the remaining uh, six or seven teams that missed out. That would have been the best one, because the Ducks would have had about a 30% chance to get the top first overall pick And then there was no yeah. chance they could move back I think their only options were first or fifth Now yeah. it's changed a bit You know, They have a chance to get second or third But they could also fall back Which they did uh, last year They could fall back from five to six Seventh or eighth So yes you get the added benefit of being able to get Second and third in this new format But now they could fall more than one spot back Which would be a little bit of a uh, disappointment
1: You can only move up four spots.
2: That's why they can't get number one, right? The Ducks? No, they can get number one. Oh, okay. You kept
1: saying two and three, and I'm like, wait, why? why No, so, (laughs) yeah.
2: The way they're doing it this year, it's three separate draws for, so there'll be one draw for first overall, another draw for second overall, and another draw for third overall. Okay. So the Ducks will have a chance at first, a chance at second, a chance at third. Before, if you just won the draft lottery, you could Uh only move up four spots, right? So if a team lower Uh won, they could only move up four. Uh, If the Ducks won the lottery, they'd get first, but there used to be no way the Ducks could get second or third. Now, Mm, with, with the new format, it gives them more chances to move up, but also more chances to move down, which I guess isn't the end of the world. I mean... You know, if they move down to, to 6, 7, or 8, there's still good players available, and the Ducks proved that last year where you know, yeah. they got a little bit lucky that, that Trevor Segris fell to them at 9 uh, when they were sitting, I believe, at 7 or 8 before. Uh, mm-hmm. But they they got him and they got lucky there, and I think when you look at the players available this year, you know, obviously moving up to 1, 2, or 3 would be nice to, to kind of bank on maybe a bit more of a sure thing, but the, the yeah. crop in, in the top 8 to 9 this year... Um, there, there's really, you know, slim margins between how good they are. It's usually team preference. Obviously, yeah. you know, there, there's so many different opinions out there. You know, a lot of Ducks fans want Alexander Holtz because he's a sniper, and there are people out there who think he's better than Lucas Raymond or think he's better than this guy. And there's a lot of people who think, you know, this guy's better than that guy. It, it, it all depends. And the opinions are out the there. Opinion, but no matter what, yeah. I think the, the big thing is the Ducks are in a good position to get another good player this year. That's the most important thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, uh, I guess how many Swedes are there? Uh, that, that'll that dictate who's going to get picked. <laughs> if they're
2: Swedish, then they're getting picked. Potentially two in the top five, so we're good. Yep. There you go. There's, there should <laughs> be one available. Uh, obviously, Alexis Lafreniere is going to go number one. Um, yeah. Quentin Byfield should go number two. Uh, and then from there, it, it kind of opens up to... You know, just a a mashup of of seven different guys, whether it be Jamie Drysdale, who the Ducks could really use as a right shot defenseman, uh, Tim Stutzel, Marco Rossi, like you mentioned, Holtz, Raymond, Cole Perfetti. There's a a lot of guys, and any one of those guys would be a great grab for the Ducks. I I, I can already see it, though, on draft day. There's a few players out there who Ducks fans really, really want, and, uh, you know, the the Ducks are going to miss out likely on on one or both, or, or, you know, a few of those guys, and, they'll still bring in a very good player but the disappointment I can already see is going to be there if they if they miss yeah. out I think no, like they, no matter
1: who they grab <laughs> yeah
2: I mean it, uh, the, the opinions out there are, are wide varying you know I've talked to a lot of people who love Jimmy Drysdale because the Ducks really need a right shot defenseman and a lot of people who love Alexander Holtz because he's a friend the Ducks need goal scoring and and there's a lot of people who love, you know, Cole Perfetti or, or Lucas Raymond. I think no matter what, like, the Ducks just need everything at this point. Yeah. Like, other, other than goaltending, like, the Ducks could use yeah. any one of those players for a number of different reasons. Like, you can't sit here and say the Ducks don't need another playmaker because they have Trevor Zegras. Yeah. He's a great picker, but you can't just get by and have him just one. And, and the players at the top end of the draft, they could be very good playmakers, but usually they're at the top half of the draft or the top five in the draft because they're also pretty good at everything else too. They're not just a great playmaker.
1: Yeah, and especially if you're kind of looking forward or at least moving forward with uh, Getzloff, who's been that essential playmaker for the Ducks for the last you know decade or so, and there hasn't been very many others that have been, I mean, these are top caliber one, but... Once he's gone and Zegers is in there, it's almost like all right. Well, we we got kind of close to what Getzlaf was. If we don't have another one there, then we're just going to kind of repeat a little bit, unless we you know really improve all the way around him. But yeah. you're right; we don't need a goalie, that's for sure. Yeah,
2: that's the only thing you do know. So, <laughs> we're so there. no, and we don't draft Russians. So Yaroslav Askarov is not coming to Anaheim. That's the safest yeah. bet I can say. But yeah. <laughs> let let's kind of get quickly into how the draft lottery is going to run. So the Ducks have an 8.5 chance, uh, 8.5 point, 8.5% chance, chance to land the number one overall pick. So the, there's a two-phase potentially for the draft lottery this year. Phase one is going to take place on June 26, so in 20 days. Hopefully, we'll find out where the Ducks are going to land in terms of the draft. Um, so it's going to consist, the first phase is going to consist of the, the seven teams who didn't make it. So like I mentioned, mm-hmm. Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose, which is technically Ottawa's pick as well, LA, uh, Anaheim, and Buffalo, and uh, New Jersey are going to be the seven teams that are in that first one. Uh, and the odds are going to be generated randomly for the other eight teams who essentially will be eliminated in... The play in round. Yeah. To keep the odds exactly the same as they normally are. So 18.5% for the top team in the Red Wings, and then so on, so on, till the Ducks get 8.5%. And then the eight teams that are out, it goes from 6% down to 1% in terms of what they could get. So. From there, um, I'm just going to
1: speak a little bit here. Just for a lot of people. <laughs> it's confusing. I'm already, yeah. I'm already kind of confused. So, so, those those seven teams that aren't playing anymore, they're going to get their own special draft for first.
2: Uh, yeah, it's it, that's what they're saying. That's the way they're wording it. I'll, okay. I'll word it a bit simpler. Normally, the draft lottery consists of the 15 teams who don't make the playoffs, right? Yeah. right? then yep. they have their odds ranging from eight and a half, eighteen and a half percent to 1% all the way down just on standings, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, since the 2014 playoff, only seven teams didn't make it. So this mm-hmm. first phase is going to include those seven teams and then placeholders for the other eight that eventually will be there when they lose their play-in game. So
1: why have that first draft if,
2: we're holding on to these guys and can these guys eventually get the first overall pick or no yeah so the reason you have to hold a second draft is because we don't know what team A, B, C, D, E, F are going to be why not just
1: do one draft
2: well you could but you would <laughs> you, you. what What? arguably people are saying they should have done is wait until the play-in is done and then do the draft lottery because then not you like, would know who, who they, they are, are and it makes it a lot less confusing to do it this way Basically, they're, what they're doing now is, is, you know, if one of these eight teams that are placeholders right now wins, either the first, second, or third overall pick, they have to have a phase two of the draft later to find out which team that's going to be.
1: Nope, don't get it.
2: Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it, it, it's confusing. I'm just
1: saying, so like, say, for example, let's use the Ducks. Somehow we win the draft lottery. We're getting the number one pick. That's phase one. Then phase two, the other teams get there, and then they can supersede us. They Wait, can no. get thrown in there. Or... So
2: you only need phase two if one of the placeholder teams wins one of the top three picks. So if we go through phase one of the lottery, Detroit, let's say, retains number one. Let's say the Ducks move to number two, and... Mm-hmm. Ottawa keeps literally. number three. That happens where all three teams that were eliminated get the top three picks. There's no need for phase two because the draft okay. lottery is complete. Now, if phase one happens, let's say Detroit gets the first overall pick 18, one of the eight teams who are placeholders, let's say they win the second overall pick and then Ottawa still gets the third. They have to hold a phase two of the draft. Once the, the uh, teams are eliminated from the play in series, to find out which team that is that's going to get that second overall pick, all...
1: <laughs> I get it. I get it. That is so. Consistent. And and what's even
2: what's even more ridiculous is all of those teams when they get into that second phase, if it happens, they all have a twelve and a half percent chance to win. That second overall pick, or first, or third, or whatever it ends up being, if one of them was to win it.
1: Geez, so oh man. So I wonder if you see tanking. I, I I don't think you would. I think everyone would like that odd chance of actually making it into
2: the playoffs. I don't know. I, I don't know. would rather I, that, that to
1: motivation. Wait. To, yeah, because I'd, it, I'd, wait, I'd wait till the first round's out. You know, I, I think it's play, a bit play. ridiculous
2: that they all have twelve and a half percent. <sighs> because imagine. You know, who's one of the better teams in play-in? So I think Pittsburgh's in a play-in series, right? Imagine Pittsburgh loses their play-in series against, I forget who they're playing. Uh, I can't remember now. I can't remember who they're playing. But let's say they lose their play-in series against who they're playing. They automatically, no, Toronto's playing Columbus. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it's Islanders or something. But they they drop into then this bracket of the second phase of the draft lottery, and they have the same odds as every other team that lands into that second phase of winning one of those top three picks, which would be really a pain in the ass if it was the first overall pick or either the second or the third. You know, a team that normally would have been drafting outside the top fifteen because of where they are in the standings could potentially get a first, second, or third overall pick. It would have been way simpler to just do this one draft after the playing series is done, but I don't think the NHL wants to wait that long. I think that's they why want they wanted to have a relevant. June draft. They
1: want something relevant right now, just something to get people going. And I, I you know what? Quite honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow the lottery had one of those teams in there just to create some little bit of controversy or something where everyone's talking about it leading into the playoffs and it becomes a storyline on what would have been a whole nother month before we even start playing hockey again. Oh, it's just stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They need, they need
2: like that. The the reason they're having I think, the draft lottery now is because they need something. They need something out there that is about their league. Um, especially with all the other leagues coming back right now. I, I, they needed some sort of publicity, to kind of jumpstart their you know, their fans and the attention in their league again. It's why they wanted to have a draft in June, and then that got kiboshed by every GM in the league, pretty much, saying that that's ridiculous. Um, it, it is more logical and way easier to hold the draft lottery after those eights are eliminated, but we still have no idea when those playing games are going to take place. Apparently we won't even get like the the training camps they're supposed to have until the middle of July. So those playing games might not even take place until, until August. The end of and,
1: July, yeah, I would think, at the and, earliest.
2: And I think the only argument I would have for the NHL doing this is if you're a team and you're, you know, one of the seven teams are out of it and you're trying to prep for the draft, that's all you can do right now is prep for the draft. And, and kind of you you want to know where you're picking. You would like to mm-hmm. know at least where you're picking. I know... You know, maybe there's not much of a difference between picking 5th and 7th, and but it might eliminate some names off your board and open up some other possibilities and, and kind of give you a different plan for the the later rounds based on who you think you could get there. So I, I can see the merit there for having it a bit earlier Is it gives the teams who are out of it at least mm-hmm. something to do in terms of prepping for the draft and, and a leg up there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the way I would have approached it, no one's asking me and I don't blame them, but yeah, <laughs> if I was doing it, I would have done, hey, those seven, because, because essentially every team that was the 17th through the 24th got a little bonus, just like, hey, we're giving you a shot at it, here's a little freebie, a chance to to make it further in the playoff and become a little bit more relevant, otherwise you wouldn't have been. Uh, but the bottom seven teams didn't get any of that stuff. What I would do is I would do those bottom seven teams. You guys get that draft lottery for those top seven picks. That's it. You know, you'll play somewhere in there, uh, but generally you're not going to go. You're, you can't go below seven. So you, you're at least getting your little crack at that, where the other teams that got a little, you know, bonus or freebie to get in there, at least try for the playoffs. The, they got something. You guys get something. And then the other 16 teams that were going to be in there anyways, uh, just, get the chance to play for the Stanley Cup like they should have. Um, and then the other phase would be all those teams that went out, they get to do a draft lottery up to number eight. That would be my thought. I figured that's yeah, kind of fair. I
2: can see it, but the NHL wants to be complicated, and yep. they want it to be difficult. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like they just didn't want to change too much of the, the percentages and the odds. I think they they like the odds for the current draft lottery Format and how they kind of prevent tanking in terms of like the fact that you could be as bad as Detroit is for the entire year and still only have an eighteen and a half percent chance to get the first overall pick. I think the NHL is is fairly comfortable in having those odds. I don't think they wanted to change them. So I think you know going into it probably to start conversations. They said, how can we make this work without changing the draft odds? And this I would is just say keep the draft
1: odds. odds. The reason they had those draft odds in the first place was so that teams wouldn't tank during the season. Well, no one saw this one coming. It pretty much was just we're, we're all playing, we're all, you know, doing our thing and still trying to play good. And then all of a sudden, season stops. And at that point, you know, like the last 10 games of the season is, or 12 games of the season is usually when teams that are close might start tanking, but they never even got that opportunity and they didn't foresee them not being able to play. So I don't see how changing those odds to the top seven team also, all of a sudden, Makes it so that oh yeah they, well they tanked and that's why they got such a good pick you know I just don't see that I, mean, I figure this one's so oddball anyways yeah because... see if, we'll see <laughs> if hockey probably.
2: even happens I mean like they there's a return to play format but there's chance that this could still get canceled I I think there's a, at least a fifty percent chance that this entire whole thing could still get canceled there's uh, I don't think so I think it's happening I don't know I don't know yeah. we'll see we'll see how it goes there there'll be still... some
1: states that are gonna allow it so. Yeah, yeah, true.
2: They'll have their format. Uh, before we move on to other news, Garrett did have a question. He said, who out of this draft do you think will be in the NHL right away? Uh, it, it's it's tough. Yeah, yeah, like I I think Lafreniere Lef- will get a chance. I think he probably could play all year. I think Quentin Byfield has the size to play. He's only 6'4", 220. Like he's already bigger than the average NHLer. I'm sure he could, could play right away. Uh, from there, it's 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 a bit tough. You know, I think the Swedes have been playing against pros all year, but I'm not sure if they're ready to take the next step forward. then um, out of the, the, you know, the guys in the OHL, I don't think Perfetti or or Rossi or Drysdale are necessarily ready. I think Rossi might have the best shot out of all of them, but I mean, he's five ten, 5'9", 190 mm-hmm. coming out of the OHL. I'm not sure if uh, if he's fully ready, but I think every year you can you can kind of be a safe bet that you could at least pick the top two guys and. And say they might make it, and there's always a few guys later on, like remember with the Ducks, Isaac Lindstrom made the NHL, or at least only nine games, but he made the NHL uh, right out after getting drafted. So there's always a few guys later on who, for whatever reason and whatever structure the team has or injuries or anything like that, they end up getting a, a little bit of a trial before they get sent somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and especially since you can kind of like if someone's impressed you and your team is kind of desperate for uh, something that you just got and you kind of want to, it's shiny and new, give it a, a shot, especially the lower teams, you know, something to get the fans a little bit excited about. You can have those nine burner games before you don't have to burn the first full year of that contract and then kind of move them on. And then if they make, you know, a great impression, then, you know, you might be willing to do that. But, I, yeah, I think uh, the team's um, – Needs are what'll probably dictate it, other than the top top couple of guys that will already be on a really you know subpar team, and they're coming in with some real good talent. So,
2: I mean, in this year too, we might not see any because especially any CHL guys, depending on where they decide to go play. Because if the CHL starts up at regular time, they're gonna start up before the NHL does. And if Alexis Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield and Rossi, Perfetti, Dreisel, if they all go back and play. With their CHL teams, they're not can't allowed really, to, they can't come up and play. They're, they're there for, for the entire season. So there's been talks of, of players like Lafrenier and Byfield looking at potentially starting the season overseas so that they can open up that possibility of, of coming over. You know, the European prospects, they can get loaned from, you know, Sweden or Finland or, or wherever to come over and play, even if their season's already started. So mm-hmm. that could be an interesting wrinkle that, that happens because of, of when the presumed start date for the 2020-2021 season is so late in the year compared to when some of these other leagues are actually going to start up. Yeah. All right. Um, let's get into the the, the goalie discussion because mm-hmm. this is a bit interesting. I know we'd speculated about this before on whether Ryan Miller was going to return or not this season. Isn't... We never had any comments from him officially, Until recently, he was on uh, an interview with Gene Principe from Sportsnet. They're doing an at home series where they talk to some players about what's going on at home during COVID 19. And uh, Ryan Miller was uh, asked a fan question about, you know, what's his desire to come back and and play next year and what that looks like. And, you know, he said that the desire's there to come back and play, but, you know, honestly, he doesn't know how the landscape's going to be, how. You know how COVID nineteen is going to affect when sports come back and when that season is going to start, and you know if his kids are going to be in school and and how that's going to affect his wife's work and if he's going to have to be home. So, you know, I think you know bluntly, he said he has no idea. He wants to come back, but uh, you know he's had a long career, and and he'd be okay if you know he ended it here, but. He also said he wants to try and hit 400 wins. He's, I think, three or four wins away from passing Dominic Hasick for 14th all-time, which is a, a personal goal for him that he wants to reach. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's 50-50 whether he, he actually ends up coming back or not.
1: Yeah, um, I th- I think he would come back. Um, you know, it, it will, you know, depend on what, like you said, the landscape, or what the NHL kind of looks like at kind of the start of next season. Um, but, you know, this is a guy who's not really playing for money. He's he's kind of just playing A for the fun of it, the fact that he can still do it at a high level and, you know, not embarrass himself. Um, and the Ducks would be crazy not to to sign him because they've been signing him at, you know, very, very team-friendly uh, contracts uh, for the next few years. And it gives us a solid backup, uh, you know, until he's finally ready to call it, call it quits. And uh, even though the Ducks may not be, you know, in that, that upper echelon where we're going to be competing uh, as a favorite to win the Stanley Cup or even make the playoffs uh, seasons in season out, Um, you know, he still has a lot of great value. And I think he knows that And if he's got the desire to do it, I think that's kind of the main thing. Uh, I don't think if, you know, if the season, I don't know, it, it does depend what COVID is going to be doing for the season. But I think if the season starts up any similar as to normal, I guess, if it gets kind of close to normal. I think, you know, he's willing to come in and play. And if he's that close to those wins too, it's just a lot of reasons to say yes. It just, like he says, depends on how the NHL looks or if they're starting and they're doing a half season or something like that. I mean, you got to wait to see how it all plays out, I guess.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I would love to have him back. I, I think, you know, he kind of deserves a spot on this roster still. I think the way he played over the last couple seasons, he shows that he can still do it. And and I think, you know, I'm not sure when his birthday is, but at least when he decides to come back, if he does come back, he'd be either 40 or close to turning 40 uh, at that point. So I think if he does decide to come back for one more year, it, it probably is his last year. Uh, in the National Hockey League. It would be nice to see him go out and, and kind of hit those personal marks for him. And I'm not sure if he ends up getting to 400 wins, but I, I would think he would pass Dominic Hasick. You know, he only needed three or four. I'm sure he could pick that up over, you know, the the entire length of a season. Hopefully the Ducks aren't that bad. Yeah. But but if, if you're Anaheim, you know, I think you would love to have him back. There's just the guy he is and, and the impact he brings. Um, but I don't think you're desperate to bring him back. When you look at trying to kind of take some of your young goalies or other goalies in the system up to the next step, whether that's moving Anthony Stolarz into the backup role, uh, Lucas Dostal and Roman Derny are both signed under contract. They could come over and play in San Diego. Ole Erickson spent the entire year in the ECHL, and whether you want to see more of him uh, in San San Diego. You know, Ryan Miller... I love the guy. Great goaltender. Definitely, if he signs, he's easily the second best goaltender in the system at at, at this point in, in terms of pure quality. Mm-hmm. But how long do you keep doing that and and maybe blocking the development of some of the younger guys and trying to get them into the AHL?
1: I would honestly do it as long as Ryan Miller wants to play and he can play <laughs> at the level he's playing. Um, you know, it's it's a little different than I guess you know with with you know if you want to try and say blocking it like. Corey perry was blocking those up-and-comers Corey cory perry yeah. couldn't play at that position he was he was holding people up mostly because he refused to kind of get out of the way a little bit and that's where he kind of had to part ways at it you know he wouldn't go down in the lineup and so that resulted in all right well we gotta buy you out so we can get these guys going uh goaltending is a little different especially with goalies um it takes a little bit longer to develop. So even if these guys are young and they're showing good promise, experience and game reps are usually what helps them get to their level. Look at uh, Jordan Bennington uh, and how long it took him to get in there. Very rarely do you get goalies that just jump right in as a teenager or higher and all of a sudden just completely excel uh, with you no know, setbacks in it. So. Letting them ferment a little bit more in the minors isn't necessarily a bad thing like it would be for a forward that's kind of reached whatever they're going to do in the AHL Golden, and You can always get that more experience in being a starter at the lower end and let Ryan Miller, who's better in that lineup, to actually be that. And Especially if that contract is team-friendly again, you're not going to find a better backup at that price point in the NHL.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, if he doesn't come back, I think obviously... The easiest decision, the easiest guy to promote is Anthony Stolarz. Um, You know, looked good when he did get a, a couple games with Anaheim and was good for San Diego, especially in the second the half of the season. I think it was the AHL All-Star game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think he yeah. replaced somebody who was supposed mm-hmm. to go. I can't remember. But anyway, like his second half of the season was great, and he got some good reps with the Ducks and looked pretty good when he was up there. So I think he's probably top of the list. Uh, but there are other options if, they, if the Ducks want to go out into the free agency pool. Um, you know, Lucas Dostal uh, is a guy that they just re-signed. Probably one of the best goalie prospects in the league was the best goaltender voted as so. Uh, in the Finnish league last year, which is one of the top five leagues in the mm-hmm. entire world, uh, and he's doing that as a 20-year-old, which which makes it even more impressive. So there's always a chance. I don't think he jumps right from there and, and right into the backup role, um, but there there is that option if the Ducks want to go in house with those two. But when you look out uh, across the league, there there's some names that I think we all know whether how mm-hmm. how good they are and how well they'd fit. That that's a, a bit of a different story. But uh, you know, and, I wish and, I, had,
1: I wish we had Pat on for this because I, I would love to hear his. <laughs> I put his some names on here <laughs>
2: specifically knowing that the well, at the time we thought Pat was going to be on, so I put some on here. But, uh, you know, one name on this list, I think you can put him up there, with one of the, you know, with Ryan Miller and Jaroslav Halak for, for best backups in the league. But he needs the right situation. That's Anton Kodobin. Uh We remember when he was here in Anaheim, it didn't pan out well. Uh, it was a while ago. But he was one of the best or probably the best backup in the league when he was in Boston. And then he's gone over to Dallas and replicated that with, with Brian Bishop and uh or Ben Bishop, sorry. <laughs> with Ben Bishop and has been um you know just as good, if not even better, the way he played last year. Uh, so he could be an interesting option. I think if your Anton Goodobin, um, after, you know, playing in Boston and making the playoffs and, and going far and playing with Dallas and not being as good but still making the playoffs and, and being a good team, I don't think Anaheim's necessarily the next stop. And I I could honestly see Dallas bringing him back. But, you know, that's, uh, I think if you're looking for someone with the same quality in terms of what they could bring in the crease to Ryan Miller, I think Anton Goodobin's probably at, at the top of the list if you're looking for, you know, a, an elite backup goalie, if there's such a thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, either him or uh, you know we have on the list Thomas Grice. I mean, I think he's another decent backup. Pat would really hate him because he's on the Islanders. <laughs> um, but uh, you know he's 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 shown it. Uh, you know, but once again, he didn't really show it prior to um, uh, Barry Trotz coming over and making a more defensive team out of the Islanders. So, you know, it's kind of up there. Uh, Khadobin could be it, but I think Khadobin also excels in certain situations. So, once again, Boston and Dallas being a little bit better situation uh, than the Ducks, necessarily. And so I'd have a hard time seeing Khadobin leave Dallas to be a for-sure backup. I mean, if he's going to be a backup, why not do it where you've had success and Dallas was one of them? The only reason he'd maybe leave for that is if he got a chance to be a starter, whichever goalie wants to be, and he's obviously not going to get that in Anaheim.
2: Yeah, and then some of the other names on here were just pure just trying to stir the shit. Uh, (laughs) Cam Talbot is on the list. Mike Mike Smith was also on the list. Uh, Keith Kincaid. And again, these these aren't necessarily guys... Uh, we're looking to bring in Eric Stevens. Put out a pretty good article where he listed, I think, fifteen different guys. Uh, most of them are just because they're unrestricted free agents. Um, at the, I wanted about to say at the end of this year, but technically they would be unrestricted free agents in a month, and that's obviously mm-hmm. not going to uh, be the case. But you know, there some options out there for the Ducks, and, and you know, personally, I think they go in house. It's a lot easier, and it, it's kind of along the lines of what the Ducks have done in the past in, in terms of bringing goalies up from the system. And they have enough guys where if you bring Stollers up from the AHL, you're not leaving a hole. At the AHL level, you have to go go fill somewhere else. Like like I said, Dostel could come over, or you know you could re-sign Kevin Boyle. You know if if they want to do that, I think he's an RFA. Um, you know, Ole Ericsson could come up. Roman Durney just got signed to a deal and brought it to San Diego, so he could play. So they have options where you know going in house and going with Stolars, I think, is is the safest and, and probably the easiest option and probably the cheapest option for them too in, in terms of, of the money involved.
1: And last, re-signs for a million.
2: Yeah, which is which is still possible. And, and, yeah. uh, and it's probably the, the best option for the Ducks. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's Murray's intention. We'll get to some of the comments he made a little bit later in the show. But he, he fully expects this team to be better, which he says every year. But he, he right. expects them to be a better team this year. And if you want to be a better team, then why not bring back one of the best backup goalies in the league, right? So, Yep. All right, on to some more signings. Uh, Ducks signed Cody Curran out of the shl immediately everybody thought oh another swedish defenseman but it turns out uh <laughs> cody cody, cody is yeah cody is canadian he's uh, when you think of an nhl or a journeyman on the way to the nhl i think you know he's the the definition of that playing four years in the aj ajhl which is the alberta junior hockey league <laughs> um out west f- five years of canadian university so didn't go the ncaa route over to Denmark, Norway, and then two years in Sweden, uh, and and just collected some ridiculous hardware. Uh, you know, a couple MVP trophies last year. This last year, he picked up Defenseman of the Year, the MVP, and then the basically the ten Lidsey of the um, SHL, where it's MVP voted by the players. So he picked up some serious hardware. Was second in the league oh. in scoring, not uh, among all players, not just defensemen. Oh. So wow. So he he is. Uh, Got an impressive resume, a long journey, 30 years old, so he's got some experience there. And uh, unlike Yanni Hockenpah, you don't have that issue of trying to readjust to the smaller ice. I mean, yeah. this guy grew up in Canada, he skated on, on smaller ice for his entire career, comes home every, every summer and skates on, on smaller ice, so... An interesting signing for the Ducks. We'll see how it is. is. I'm, I'm you know Obviously, if you guys didn't see it, we did have an interview that got released a few days ago with Cody Curran where he kind of goes in-depth about his career and his journey to the NHL. Uh, it was a lot of fun to, to, to talk to him and kind of discuss all those things and how it felt to uh, sign his first NHL contract. So make sure you guys go check that out. But uh, it, it does give the Ducks some interesting options on their blue yeah. line when you look at who... Is vying for a bottom pairing spot. I think. Go ahead.
1: Uh, no, I was just saying. Yeah, as part of that interview, um, even though he's considered left-handed defenseman, he also said he doesn't. He's more. He's comfortable playing right-handed, or he's been doing that, or in the right-handed defenseman position. So I feel like it maybe gives them a little bit of. Um, uh, I won't say diversity, but yeah, um, flexibility, on, flexibility on the back. Flexibility. If yeah. he wants to go one or the other, it's not like he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm only comfortable here. I've never really done that. I don't know. And then there's mistakes, that sort of deal. So,
2: yeah, hopefully that's what Dallas Aiken's does. We've we've seen even before Aikens with Carlisle too. You know, Gooley played on the right side. Then Fowler played on the right side of Gooley. Larson's played on the right side. Delzato if he comes back, he's played on the right side. Um, I think Cody brings a different aspect to the Ducks which they could potentially use and that's being an offensive defenseman and being a power play quarterback which really other than Christian Jews nobody's shown that out of those bottom pairing guys um, you know, I mean I think it's safe to say you know Linton, Manson Fowler and likely good Branson are your top four you know maybe the only iffy there being good Branson but I think that's how the Ducks would start the season would be with those four and then you look at the bottom pairing. There's you know seven or eight guys fighting for a spot there. When you you know you add Cody Curran into the mix, you've got Christian Juice who was re-signed. You've got Jakob Larson who I I think he's either re-signed or he's vying still get uh, going to get a contract. Uh, you got Josh Mahura, Simon Benoit, Yanni Hakkenpa who got re-signed, Brandon Gooley, who got re-signed. And then potentially Del Zotto and Irwin if they get contracts. I don't think they do with the amount of names I just mentioned off there of guys who are already under contract. But even without Del Zotto and Irwin, you've got seven uh, guys there that are going to be fighting for a spot.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we definitely need someone to help on that power play. <laughs> yeah, for
2: sure. I don't know if I don't know if you know as much as I love the guy, uh, and, and he's a great guy. I don't know if Cody Curran is is the fix to the Ducks' power play woes. Well. So I think he'll he'll. Do better. I think he'll make the power play a little bit better. It gives him a, a bit of a a better presence from the blue line on the power play. But uh, one one player coming in, unless you're you know Connor McDavid isn't going to to fix the Ducks' power play. There's a, a systems issue there, and, and there's a lot of things going on on why that power play isn't good. But you know if you if you're looking at this bottom pairing right now, who are your two kind of go to guys if you had to pick from that mix? And you know, Larson, Jews, Curran. Mahara, Benoit, uh, and Ghouli. I,
1: I, I'd, I'd have to watch more of them play, especially Curran, cause I haven't really watched him play. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Jews I thought would, would probably work there. And, but then it's like, well, who's the other guy going to be? And if it's Ghouli with who is the other one, I would think would maybe work in there. Um, then you got kind of t- two guys a little bit more offensive and usually they like to kind of put in a defensive guy there. So I, I don't know. Like I mean, it just kind of depends how they all get through all of this off season and who comes out and really wins that spot. But I just don't see clear cut winners one way above the other one. So it just, I'd have to see how they're all playing. I think they'll probably end up getting interchanged as time goes yeah. on.
2: That's right. I think there's going to be a bus going back and forth between Anaheim and San Diego, a fair amount for, for the defense, like it was this year as well. And you know, obviously yeah. injuries could play a big part in that but uh, you know I'm, I'm honestly excited to see most of these guys get a chance and, and try and win a role I would like to see you know Mahura jump up and, and get a start he might be closer to the bottom of the list just based on contract issues and, and guys having to go through waivers when he doesn't so I think you know I, I want to see him do well but I I think it'd be hard pressed to to win a spot over some of these guys I, I think Benoit likely starts down in San Diego as well uh, the, you know, the interesting one for me is Brendan Gooley still being a big part of that Brendan Montour trade, and and really having a tough season last year. You know, I'd like to see him do well. I'd like to see him kind of jump into a top four spot, and maybe steal that away from from Eric Goodbranson and win that spot back with Cam Fowler. Uh, mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, I think Larson, uh, Curran, Juice, yeah. Hackenpud, like they all. They're, they're all gonna have to win a spot in preseason or in training camp or you know at, at some point there where they're gonna have to show that they're better than the other guy and you know some separation yeah I, I think right now juice probably has the inside track just to you know the, the nine games he had with Anaheim were very good he was the duck's best defenseman over those nine games before the season got suspended. Uh, I think maybe you know that could be on the coaching staff and in Bob Murray's minds, but it's a whole new year when everything restarts and training camp gets back in, and when you've got that much competition, it's always good to have competition in, in a spot. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who who wins out there. I, I honestly, I you know, I couldn't pick a guy. I think it's that close in terms of one of these guys are significantly better or proven they're significantly better than the other guy, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an interesting battle for sure. All right, I think now is a better time than ever to move. message from one of our advertisers. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still be in on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, let's uh, move on to the last bit of the show we have here. Bob Murray had a press conference with... Media, I think a couple of days ago now, two, three, four days ago, where he just kind of opened let me up. Guess. A... No, no,
1: let me guess. He took full <laughs> responsibility. He accepted that he was a little bit um, naive on everything, and everyone did the best of their ability, and he's got to look internally and how he can make this team better. Close. Close,
2: okay. Yeah, basically he blamed everybody else. Yeah, uh, he blamed everybody else and said if he was around more. Uh, then wow. they would have done better. Uh, so he, he had comments on Dallas Aikens, young players, special teams, uh, Ricard Raquel scoring dip, uh, you know, the core players. So he, he had comments on a bunch of different stuff. We'll start with on Dallas Aikens. Um, so he was saying he thought Dallas Aikens was very organized, well-prepared. He thought the communication was good early. Then he says it got off track a little bit. You know, they got kind of got rid of some of the things – that uh, he had to get rid of some of the things that he had done in Edmonton that came with him, and he thinks those are gone now. So a little bit of criticism. I think that's the first criticism we've heard from Bob Murray uh, of Dallas uh, You know, He was saying he was very, very hard on some of the young people in Edmonton, and it kind of backfired uh, on him there, not saying it's all his fault just saying that the whole situation kind of made him take his foot off the gas a bit. So he said he's talked to him. There's going to be much more consistent from this point on with everybody next year. So it sounds like he had a talk with Dallas Aikens. He's, he's you know, largely impressed with what he did. But, there you know, the first bit of criticism we've seen uh, from Bob Murray with Dallas Aikens just not holding that, that consistent presence in the locker room all year long.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think part of the reason they brought in Akins was because of his communication abilities with younger players. It's somewhat vague when he says, uh, you know, some of his old habits from Edmonton days, because yeah. his criticism was that he was too tough on the young guys. Now, like the reason he was brought in is he was so good with the young guys and how he communicated. So, I, I, you know, unless he got, you know, started falling back and started getting tough on the kids a little bit but then it kind of goes on to say you know they got away with you know the young guys got away with murder so then it's like he's being too relaxed and so, so I'm, I'm confused it's kind of vague it doesn't really tell me what what he didn't like about how he was doing things or how he was controlling the players or not i don't know
2: yeah it's a bit weird i mean he gets a bit into it more bob murray does when he's talking about the young players and i think what he's a bit concerned with was just the consistency of the message to the players in the locker room. Um, and, and it just like, we got to go out there and compete every night rather than saying, Oh, it's just a rebuilding year. So in, in Bob Murray's comments about the young players, he said, I think everybody talking about the young guys and this and that, it just led to players at times saying, Oh, this is just a rebuilding year. I don't know if anybody ever said that, but it doesn't matter up and down the lineup. Some of the kids were allowed to get away with murder, murder this year. That's over. So I, I think that maybe shed some light a bit on his criticisms of Dallas Aikens just not holding a consistent message of compete every night in and out. You know, guys were kind of slacking off a bit, saying, you know, it's a rebuilding year. You know, if we're playing bad, we're playing bad because it's a rebuilding year. So there was a little bit of that accountability that – kind of got thrust to the side saying you know we're bad because it's a rebuilding year well no you're, you're bad because you guys aren't playing that great and I think mm-hmm. maybe that's the message Bob Murray was trying to get across while also escaping all accountability himself from the team that he put together which is which is pretty funny but uh, I, I at least based off what he said that's that's kind of the gist of it that I'm getting in terms of his criticism of Dallas Aikens
1: yeah. And I can see that there was, you know, inconsistency in their play. Um, you know, you you have a couple of games where you're like, all right, this team's kind of got it. And then all of a sudden they just wet the bed. Um, and then, you know, but, you know, once again, my, my, I lost where I'm lost is him saying he's bringing that from Edmonton. I, I didn't realize that that was part of his thing is he didn't ever have a consistent message. So. I don't know. So it's just it's also- We
2: can only take Bob Murray's word for it, which well, yeah. I don't know how much that means at this point. Um, his last thing on young players, he said accountability in this group is going to change. I've said that a couple times, but I'm hell-bent on that happening going forward, and the coaches are going to hear that loud and clear. They already have a little bit. That goes right from the lowest ice times to the most ice times, from the most rhetoric guy to the other guys. So basically, it just feels like Bob Murray is going to be around criticizing guys a lot more and holding guys accountable for for what they do, other than himself, of course. Just the yeah. the coaching <laughs> staff and the, and the players. Um, and we've heard this from from Bob Murray multiple times. It's getting a little bit old, to to be honest. In uh, terms of saying the players need to be accountable, they need to you know play better. They they need to you know the veteran guys need to step up, the young guys need to step up, the core guys need to. Step up. We we've heard this for the last three or four years, and it's. You know, I, I get, you know, Bob Murray at this point is following a script and he's he's kind of saying the same stuff year in, year out because nothing's really changed. But, uh, I mean, it, it just, like I said, it's just kind of getting old hearing this the accountability thing over and over again. I mean, you're the guy who built this roster. Like, at some mm-hmm. point you also have to be accountable for, for what's going on here too. Yeah, like I said,
1: every, every player and every coaching hire and everything you've done with contracts um, – it's, it's a little piece of the puzzle that makes up what you are as a GM. So if every one of those things, year in, year out, you can pick, oh, yeah, this isn't good, this isn't good, that needs to get better, This isn't good. these are all pieces of your puzzle that you've put together. So if you got all the wrong pieces um, and you could have done something to fix it or do it better, then, yeah, it's a reflection. You know, every little bit is a reflection on you. Ultimately, you start getting a big picture, and if everything's a negative, your reflection's a negative on it. So... Uh, that's my my beautiful metaphor
2: for it well yeah we want to talk about accountability and, and why <laughs> you know the team maybe isn't as good as it is like he's got to look at some of the decisions he made too No, you know I know we're a bit early to judge Brendan Gooley, but that trade really hasn't worked out as well as you thought it has and you look at losing Shea Theodore to the Golden Knights to protect Sammy Vatten, who you traded that off season anyway and you know, you you because you couldn't get Kevin Bieksa to waive his no trade clause that you put into his contract. You know, you're losing these players for nothing, losing good players and maybe not seeing the the dividends, deciding not to trade Jakob Silverberg, rehiring Randy him. Carlisle. Yeah, rehiring Randy Carlisle, not firing him until near the end of the season when it was already too late anyway. Like all these little decisions that that go in into roster creation and you know, some of the players that he's brought in over the last couple of years, I haven't done anything anyway. And, you know, you can't criticize, you know, a team for not being that good when, you know, you playing seven kids because you didn't bring in, you know, enough guys and you've got, you know, Michael Delzado playing top four minutes and you've got some of these, you brought in Eric good Branson to be, you know, as good as, as surprising as he was in Anaheim, you brought in Eric good Branson to be a top four defenseman because you traded four top four defensemen away or lost them in, in some different ways. Like at some point it, it just gets ridiculous that, you know, we hear these, these comments from, from Bob Murray and there's never, you know, oh, I should have done that. Or, you know, I made a mistake here or, you know, some of this is on me, but yeah.
1: It's yeah he's always looking for that, that diamond in the rough, uh, you know, and he keeps doing the, the bargain bin Bob thing where, you know, well wow, we had a really cheap deal and, you know, he could have a lot of upside low risk, yada, yada, yada. Okay enough of that crap that it's been going on you've been trying you've had minor hits here and there but mostly losses and that kind of goes to to trading as well you've done well in drafting and we can chalk that up to you know the the people you have doing the scouting so other than that you know it's starting to wear thin that message of uh well i i I, i've done everything i've got this under budget and yada 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 and these guys need to start doing better so like yeah like i said usually i've been able to give them some slack you know cut them a little bit of slack and kind of move forward uh but the message is always the same or, or there's always some new excuse on it. it's like oh the coach is bad you got a new coach well this coach is bad too it's like alright dude um, what do you want to do well power play is bad you know well, The coaching and the you know the players aren't doing it well what are you doing to change it well not much but it's still bad yeah it's <laughs> like so, alright well do something
2: uh, I mean, he again, where he's you, you know what's bad, and there's no changes from him on that point. It's the same thing with special teams. He he said for him, it's a major major concern. If you just put us in the middle of the pack on special teams this year, you're probably one of those teams playing right now. I know we've talked about that a bit, saying if the Ducks were a middle of the pack playoff team, they probably got you know four or five extra wins on the season, which going to put them in. in, I don't know if they're one of the seven teams, or one of the 24 teams, if that's the case, but I think they're a lot closer to that. But uh, he said, we're so far down the totem pole, it's inexcusable. That's on the coaches, players, everybody. No excuse for that, and that has to be fixed. You can watch certain teams' power plays. Boston, you know, that's a, a pretty damn good power play. We don't have those players. We have to have a different type of power play. You've got to work with what you have in some respects. Right there, I wish I could have heard how he said it's that comment.
1: would change everything,
2: yeah. I just, because he says, you got to work with what you have. If he said that in a depressing tone, like, oh, I got to work with what I got, like, you know, I was given this, I got to work with what I got, then mm-hmm. I, I, I would really understand his bicep Because when he says, you know, that's on the coaches, players, everybody. He doesn't say that's on the coaches, players, and me. Just kind of yeah. throws him in with everybody else who's really not that accountable for it. I really would have loved to hear him say you've got to work with what you have cuz i feel like he probably said that in a way with like oh i mean i've been given all this stuff and i got nothing i got to work <laughs> with what i got here
1: i i've heard him talk he's he's blunt um but it's it's very honest in the way he speaks or at least he portrays that he believes it in such a way um so the the inflection i would think he have is more like you know you got you got we got to work with what we've got you know what we've got can work we just have to do something to it so it's more it's never more of a depressing like well oh, we've got to work with whatever the hell we got here you know it's it's never that it's like we got to work with what we've got we can't copy it we can't do anything else you know because we don't have that talent that's on a boston team but we got enough pieces we got to figure out a solution to it he seems more like he wants to fix things but when he starts criticizing he's he's usually he can be kind of snarky a little bit when it comes to, to usually players or a general group of players so I know he was snarky when he was talking about the young players needing to have um, communication he's like yeah you know these kids they got to be talked to you know mm-hmm. and then, so he can be snarky I don't feel like that was necessarily it but once again I'm not there I've yeah. just heard his tone before and usually it's it's kind of more like I think we got the pieces we just got to figure out what's going to work for us.
2: I just wonder be- how how long can we and we've said it before. How long can you know us and Bob Murray and everybody sit here and say the Ducks have all the pieces to have an effective middle of the pack power play before it? It's just it's not possible. Like they haven't done it. They've had these pieces for the last three years, and their power play has routinely been in you know the bottom five teams in the league. It this year was it was thirtieth in the league before the season was canceled. Like. When when are we going to say, oh, the Ducks just don't have the personnel to have a good power play? Yeah, you know, obviously it's on power play, I think, a bit more than anything else and Penlico are on coaching and the system you have in place. But at some point, it's also the personnel you have on your team that maybe it just doesn't work out. Like the Ducks have tried a million different combinations on the power plane. You know, we've seen some guys who definitely shouldn't be power play time, like Carter Rowney and Nick DeLoree, getting power play time because the Ducks are trying to make things work. At some point, it looks like the coaching staff has tried everything to get things to work. And maybe it's just their system that doesn't work. But after three years and different coaches, and the power play just still isn't good, you know, at some point, you have to start thinking, yeah, I know it's it's the players we have, it are not, it's not working. You need to, to bring some different guys in to, to get the power play going.
1: And I, I would, if you can build consistency on power plays, then everyone learns their role or their, their role is more defined. Um, Sometimes I feel a lot of the players that we're going to count on scoring are more finesse sharp shooters. They're waiting for that perfect play to happen and power plays don't necessarily work that way because penalty killers um, are, are a lot more aggressive now. You don't get that setup time. And so I, I do feel it's a little bit of a, a strategy being able to know what other penalty kills are going to do or how they're going to do it and then devising a plan that can be executed And a little bit on the players to have the drive to realize it's not going to be perfect setup every time, and you got to be able to adjust in moments. So if you're not good at adjusting to in-game or you know slight changes in what the uh, penalty kill was doing, then yeah, you got to look at maybe personnel. But at the same time, I I feel like every season they come in, and no one really has a clear idea of what the setup's going to be or how it's going to play or if they can even get in the damn zone. Um, So I think it's a combination, but I, yeah, I still definitely feel that, that there's more strategy involved with the power play. You've got to really think it out versus you know regular plays where you're just in the offensive zone. You can go a little bit more a run and gun. Like, there's got to be a little bit more structure on how that power play is set up, and I don't feel it's there you know, or between either penalty kill. Like One power play is doing one thing, the other power play is doing another, and then you try and mix and match play, players in there when it's not working, and then everyone kind of gets lost in what they're doing.
2: Yeah, I, I think this is the one space where they you can share the blame equally among you know the coaching staff, the players and Bob Murray in terms of, you know, the coaching staff hasn't developed a system that works with the players they have. The players haven't been able to excel in any system that the coaches have put forward. And Bob Murray hasn't provided, you know, the team with the right assets to have an, a successful power play. I remember at the hot stove event, he, you know, Murray said, I don't have anybody who can one time the puck. You would think you would then go out and get somebody who can one-time the puck and put them on the power play. And maybe you know, that's easier said than done, and and trying to find a player who can officially one-time the puck on the power play is not necessarily an easy thing to do. But you we've been saying that for how long. The Ducks haven't had a shooter on the power play. Well, no wonder your power play hasn't got that much better because you haven't put anybody who can shoot the puck... <laughs> On the power play. Look across the league. I know you can't replicate other teams' power plays, but look at the bones of why some power plays are so good. They have structure, and there's one guy, usually one guy, that they're trying to get the puck to to one time the puck in. For a long time, Tampa and Stamkos, that was it. Obviously OV in Washington. In in Boston, it's a bit more of a different setup, but you still have the trigger man being David Pasternak uh, for the one-timer. In Vancouver, you've got Elias Pettersson, like, there are in, in, in Boston or in Buffalo, it's it's Jack Eichel being the, the trigger man. Like, you have to have a guy to shoot the puck on the power play. And the Ducks just don't have a guy to shoot the puck. And, and at some point, as a general manager, you got to go out there and, and get a guy to shoot the puck. And, and, you know, that's not the only change. That's, you know, Cody Curran and, you know, let's say the Ducks draft Alexander Holtz and bring him in and put him in Trevor Zegras. I think Zegras, Holtz, and Curran, you put them all together it gives you maybe a different structure where you can get things a bit more organized where you have the one defenseman who can patrol the blue line in Cody Curran you've got the shooter in Alexander Holtz you've got the roamer and Trevor Ziegler you maybe put Getzlaff behind the net and you've got maybe the bones of what could be a successful power play but at some point you know the Ducks have to piece those the, put those pieces together and, and have a successful power play and that falls on everybody involved
1: Yeah, right now it's kind of easy to defend him. All right, where's Getzloff? All right, guard Getzloff. You know, because everything's going to facilitate through him. Either he's going to set somebody up or everyone else on the team is just looking for that setup and just kind of hoping and waiting that it's going to happen. No one really kind of does anything outside of that. So, you know, sometimes you throw it to the point, sometimes shots get through, and it's a random deflection here or there. But for the most part, it's, you know, teams know that they can stop Getzloff, which they can't do all the time, but the more they do it you know the more they can focus on them the less effective that Ducks power play is cuz no one else seems to be really finishing plays on the power play
2: yeah and and at some point like it, it's just going to take longer than i think Bob Murray and everybody hopes for like you yeah. the Ducks don't seem to have the players to patrol and run a power play in their system and you're slowly bringing those guys in. Trevor Ziegler is just one of those guys that you put him on the power play and he will do 90% of the work on the power play. He'll have the puck most of the time to set guys up. Then you need to bring in a guy on on the back end who can be a power play quarterback for you. The Ducks don't have that guy and haven't had that guy for a long time. I mean, Votnin might have been the closest thing you had to that and, and and I wouldn't say he's anywhere close to you know a top power play quarterback in this league. I think he's a second unit power play quarterback but he's not a premier one so the ducks still have to go out there and find that and then you have to find a shooter you know you're two of you're one of three pieces of the way there but yeah. you still need those other two important aspects to having a successful power play you, you look at any successful power play around the league they have those three assets to them they have one guy who has a puck majority of the time they have a power play quarterback at the back end and they've got a shooter and then the rest of it you can kind of fill in and change depending on the power play, whether it's a net front presence, whether it's a guy waiting for the high tip or a guy behind the net. Like, every power play has their their different roles for the other two players on the ice. But every one has those three things, a shooter, a power play quarterback, and, for lack of a better word, a playmaker, a guy who's going to have the puck most of the time. You've got to have those three pieces, and the Ducks maybe have one of those in Trevor Zegris. I think Getzlaff right now, you could say, is the playmaker – for the Ducks on the power play, but they're still missing the shooter Mm -hmm. and the power play quarterback. And and they won't have a good power play until they bring capable guys like that in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he's relying too much on maybe Silverberg and Raquel being those, you know, elite snipers. Um, But they don't seem to me. They don't seem much like power play specialists. They seem like five on five specialists. Like when there's a team game involved and it's a regular setup, that's when those guys can thrive they don't do it so much on the power play. They get a little bit too much time to overthink of what they're gonna do, and they need to just do. And the more they can just do without thinking, the better they are at shooting and sniping. But on the power play, I think they're all trying to do a little too much or overthink every every aspect of it. So,
2: I think Ricard Raquel and Jack Silverberg would be good for a power play if they were one of the two guys. the One of the two extra guys where you're trying, you know, the, they're doing something else. They're not the go-to guy. They don't have the pressure to be the shooter or the quarterback on the power play. Like, they you, they, they they just aren't those guys, and the Ducks have been trying to force people into those roles, and it just hasn't worked. You know, Montour for a long time, they were like, "You're the power play quarterback," it just wasn't his thing. Ricard Raquel, they tried to make him the shooter on the power play, and you know, maybe for stretches it worked, but consistently, consistently wasn't that great. Silverberg, they've tried to use in the shooter position. You know, Getzlaf, they've tried there. Montour's slid down in that uh, that spot before. They just haven't found anybody. They don't have anybody in the system that that's had that that's made that work. doesn't mean Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silber couldn't be good power play contributors. They just need the structure around them and the right guys in those positions where they could be kind of secondary pieces that could contribute. I mean, you know, I I have no doubt if Ricard Raquel was the fourth man on a power play and, you know, he he can kind of slip in and out and and behind defensemen that he would be successful. He just can't, he's just not the go-to guy. He's not, you know, if you've got guys looking and closing him down, he's just not going to make things happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's somewhat easily defendable in that in that instance when he becomes the focus of other teams. When he's the focus it's hard for him to break out.
2: Yeah. Uh last last comments from Bob Murray were uh, on Ricard Raquel, very brief. He just uh, on his scoring dip he was asked about he said I think he's a very determined young man right now. I'll just leave it at that. Very vague. I mean, obviously, <laughs> Ricard Raquel, I would think, would be determined after you know back-to-back thirty-goal seasons, and then the last two years he hasn't even reached twenty. I, I would think you know he's he's of all players. I think all players are determined to get back and play well, especially on the Ducks. But you know, once, again, uh, once
1: again, I think the inflection here is probably going to say more than the actual words. And I I have a, a vision of how he said it, and that was he was asked, he then sat back, folded his arms. Look down into space, and Jen just kid, "Well, he's a very determined young man. I'll just leave it at that." Yeah, you know, well, what, I mean, what, what are
2: you supposed was... to say though, right? Like if you're Bob Murray and say, uh, oh, you, "You're, sucks. you're, you're, yeah, you're asked like, what are you know, what are you, what are you going to do about Ricardo Raquel to turn around his scoring scoring but sl- What's he doing? or What's he going to do? He doesn't know. Yeah. He's uh, he's determined. I've talked to him. Probably only talked to him briefly, uh, uh, you know, in in the exit interviews that they had, and." was probably asked like hey you know what how are things going you know what are you going to do to turn this around and that the answer he's going to get from the player isn't going to be the best answer ever it's going to be you know i'm going to work hard i'm going to come back better than ever hopefully i'm going to get back to to where i was before he he doesn't have all the answers to turn things around if we if he had the answers and and could could change this game then ricardo would have been a 30 goal scorer last year it's it's something you know at at this instance i think it's something that's not murray doesn't have to be accountable for this is on ricardo he's He's got to find his game again.
1: Yeah, because it's hard for Bob Murray to sit there and go, like, well, you know, if he's having another bad season, I'm going to look to move out his very, very nice contract for what this guy yeah. can do. Even at what he's doing, he's, he's getting paid decent, but he could be doing so much more, and we know it. That's why it kind of hurts a little bit. It's not quite there. But at the same time, Bob Murray's not going to, you know, get rid of him, bring somebody else in who might score a few more goals, but be a few more million dollars. He's just not yeah. going to do he it. He
2: also doesn't is. have the answer. Well, he, yeah. No, nobody has the answer on on what's going to get Ricard Raquel back to being a thirty goal scorer. Uh, it's up to Ricard Raquel if he's going to get back to that, and and you know whether that is is the norm for him or not. I, I think you know the, there's still question marks on that. Is he a yeah. consistent twenty goal scorer? Is he a thirty goal scorer? What is he going to be? Because it's not like he scored thirty thirty and then like twenty two and twenty five. It mm-hmm. was thirty thirty and then under twenty for the net the last two seasons. So there's huge disparity there, and, and you know the. It's up in the air on what type of player over the entirety of the, or the rest of Ricard Raquel's career is he going to be? Is he going to be a consistent 20 goal scorer? Is he going to be a guy who hits 20 most of the time, he could hit 30, or is he going to be streaky, where some years he hits 30 and the other years he hits 15? Um, and and how much of this is on how bad the team is? You know, he scored back to back 30 when the team was good, and then the team was bad, and he got below 20. Like how much of it is? Is on his role changing like the from the whole
1: team was under twenty, though. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. How much of, of of that is you know him benefiting from the team being good and and then being a focal point of a bad team? You, you get a you know a lot harder matchups and and you're not getting as much space as you're getting. I mean, you imagine how much space he was getting playing with Ryan Getzlaff when you got Ryan Kessler out there. You know, taking the brunt of, of the tough matchups. Now, Ra- yeah. Ricard Raquel is is being asked to take tougher matchups than he was before, and he's not getting as much freedom. Offensively, as he was when you know Ryan Kesler was in the lineup and he was playing with Ryan Getzlaf, it's just it's just how it is. And, and you know, I still think he's a great player. I still think yeah. he's more than worth what his contract is, despite the the two tough years. Uh, it, it'll just be interesting to see you know how he comes back next year and, and you know what what kind of Ricard Raquel we're gonna get.
1: Yeah, what team we're gonna get? You know, a second year under Aikens and see if you know. um You know last year was a lot of the younger players too seeing if they kind of elevate their game a little bit and then that might be able to take some of that pressure off of Raquel Uh, but whenever there's a change especially at the head coaching and as far as how many players from one year to the next kind of got moved in and out uh, that that can always take a bit to to get under control but uh, he's shown times where he was really good he was really good with uh, Silverberg at times so it's you know but you know, me being the optimist, I think, you know, next season <laughs> would hopefully be a, uh, you know, a step up, you know, assuming it's as close to regular season as we can get. But
2: Yeah, we'll have to hopeful. see. I mean, whenever that season ends up happening, whether it's in January or, or later. Um, you know, the only other comments Bob Murray had were basically saying the core players have to be better. We heard that last yeah, I mean, year, we heard that the year before. Or you know, Same thing and, and every time he says that near the trade deadline he trades somebody. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, it, it always seems to happen. So We'll see how it goes. I mean, cautiously optimistic, you know, you know, the big thing for me for this coming year is, is watching the progress of, of the young players we had last year in Steele and Comtois and Jones and Terry and seeing if they can take another step forward because it was largely disappointing from all of them across the board uh, throughout the season. Uh, and then obviously the play of, of Trevor Zegras and, and whoever the Ducks draft uh, in, in the top five this year, if they get a the chance to, to show what, the, what they've got at the NHL level right away as well. So it'll be exciting nonetheless. Like, I mean, even if it's a bad year for the Ducks, there, there's a lot of things to be excited about in terms of young players coming into the system and, and hopefully revitalizing the, the play and, and, and the team over the upcoming year. But that's uh, that's it from us for this show where we've kind of extended over an hour. Somehow we always manage <laughs> always to, <laughs> to find a way to get over it. Um, like I mentioned earlier in the show, we do have a pucks and brews uh, for Patreon coming uh, sometime during this, this upcoming week. Um, so if you haven't checked out Patreon, make sure to go to patreon.com slash puck guys forever mighty. Uh, we got a lot of great shows over there. We put out some, some, Pretty cool content over the last uh, few weeks here where we did a, a roster competition uh, between me, you, Pat, and, uh, and Keith. I don't want
1: to brag.
2: But... Uh, J- Jason, so Jason won. won <laughs> e- he easily won. Uh, I got second. Keith surprised everybody and got third. Pat didn't score a goal and got last, which was, which was tough for him. Uh, um, but that was a lot of fun. There was two episodes there. Um, and then we also, you know, every every month we do uh, a Pucks and Brews and try and throw in another show here and there. So uh, if you guys want some extra content, specifically just some NHL coverage, because we cover more than the Ducks on those shows, uh, make sure you go check it out. Yep. All right. We'll be back uh, hopefully soon. Uh, again, with everything going on, uh, it's kind well, of a loose well, schedule yeah. in terms of <laughs> – <laughs> In terms you know. of when this show comes back and, and how often we're here, we'd love to be here on a weekly basis, but I think it'd get boring for you guys uh, if we came in next week and had nothing to talk about, talk whether it's you know, a little thing. So that's why <laughs> that's why this one's been a little bit delayed, but you know we had some news, so we wanted to come back uh, and, and chat with you guys a bit. But uh, as always, we'll be active on social media, um, so if you have any questions for us or you, want, you know, want to find out what we're doing, make sure to check us out there. Uh, but, yeah, stay tuned, and, and hopefully we'll be back soon, and uh, everybody stay safe. Bye, guys.
0: For the one standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click slash safety, or just stop by Granger.